Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, November 2nd. Time to button up the outside of the house for winter if you live in the Midwest. Time to watch for sales on frozen turkeys if you're hosting Thanksgiving dinner. And time to lock up a former president for sharing top secret information with anyone who will pretend to like him and tell him he's smart. Pretty sad. You know what else is sad? The industry's struggle to effectively address healthcare worker burnout. And that's what we're going to talk about today on the Roundup, courtesy of a new report from the CDC. To tell us how we can get out of this mess are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? Well, given all your discussion of sadness, Dave, I think I'm sad because we got our first snow flurries this week, and we're going to lose daylight savings time this weekend. It means darkness will descend at 5 p.m. I guess I'm glad I don't suffer from seasonal affective disorder. That would really be sad. But, um... <laughs> yeah, jam is on at 6 p.m., Dave. Yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> Julie, how are you? Well, I'm always a little disappointed when Halloween is over, but I'm already pondering pumpkin pie. So, you know, not so bad. All right. Yeah, something to look forward to. That's great. Now, Dave, I, I think you like pumpkins, but not pumpkin pie, right? That's exactly right. right. See, I listen to our podcast. You are missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I like to carve pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we talk about this new CDC report on how healthcare workers are feeling, let's talk turkey, picking up on the pumpkin pie theme. Dave, do you serve turkey for Thanksgiving? And if so, who cooks it? Well, we haven't eaten meat for a dozen years, so no turkey at our house at Thanksgiving. No tryptophan induced sleep for me anymore, but I will run the turkey trot. So I'll see some turkeys there. Very good. Julie, how does turkey fit into your Thanksgiving plans? We are also running a turkey trot in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Dave, I'll be high-fiving you somewhere along the way. <laughs> and I think I've shared this with you guys before, but we used to be like avid turkey fryers until we moved to Washington. And we haven't quite brought the turkey fryer back to life. So now, you know, we're going to be eating turkey at the local restaurant, I think. <laughs> oh, taking a shortcut. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Better not do that in the turkey trot. You get caught, right? <laughs> That's right. I usually have Thanksgiving dinner at someone else's house, so I'm off the hook. And if we ever did host dinner, there's absolutely no way anyone would trust me to cook the turkey. So I think I'm safe. Or, the, <laughs> or more accurately, they're safe. <laughs> Trust actually is a big part of this new CDC report, which I'll explain in a moment. The report is based on a CDC survey of 325 healthcare workers conducted in 2022. It repeats a similar survey that the CDC did in 2018, and the CDC compared the results of the two surveys for the report. Here are some of the top line findings. The number of poor mental health days per month reported by the workers rose from 3.3 days to 4.5 days. The percentage of workers who describe themselves as feeling burned out very often rose from 11.6% to 19%. The percentage of workers who said they are harassed at work 
rose from 6.4% to 13.4%. And the percentage of workers who said it's very likely that they'll look for a new job rose from 11.1% to 16.5%. That's a pretty grim picture, but it's one we've heard and talked about before. But here's the new stuff that I want to talk about. Burnout dropped under four conditions. The workers trusted management. The workers had supervisors who helped them. The workers had enough time to complete their tasks. And the workers felt that their workplace supported productivity. Dave, I'd like you to talk about the first two, trust in management and supportive supervisors. First, do the uh, grim stats surprise you? And second, how can senior leadership cultivate trust in management and develop good supervisors? Well, the statistics don't surprise me at all. I'd be surprised if they surprised you or Julie either. Uh, the data is absolutely consistent with all of the other studies we were seeing on the effects of burnout and moral injury in healthcare workers. You know, stepping back, there's absolutely nothing worse than a bad boss. They come in all varieties, narcissists, ghosts, tyrants, micromanagers, paper pushers, whirlwinds, the list goes on. Bad bosses aren't endemic to healthcare but the people-centric nature of healthcare delivery makes them particularly toxic. You know, the surveys will tell you that the number one reason that people quit jobs is because they got a bad boss. And I can testify to that personally. Uh, I'm also a big believer, as I've talked about several times on this show, in the loyalty effect that was named by Fred Reichold of Bain in the 1990s, but the concepts are as old as time. Treat your employees well, They'll go the extra mile for customers, and then the company will do well. The highest return any company can get is by unleashing human potential. It's hard to measure, but boy, you can feel it when you're in a high-functioning organization where people trust each other, help one another, and go the extra mile for customers. That's the secret sauce. But here's the rub in healthcare. Healthcare delivery almost always focuses from an organizational perspective on volume and revenue optimization. And so it makes it hard to go the extra mile for customers. If your managers judge you based on how much volume you're doing and how much money you're generating, not how good a job you're doing for your customers, your patients, you've got this major disconnection between what the organization says it's doing, the mission statements are always great, and what it actually does. And if you want to ask me, I think this is perhaps the biggest industry-specific cause of burnout and moral injury among healthcare workers, up to and until healthcare aligns what it does, what customers need and want it to do, no amount of managerial engineering or slick technology can really fix the problem. Dave, I know you're a movie buff. You probably remember Alec Guinness in The River Kwai. He was a terrific boss and built a fantastic bridge over the River Kwai, but his great work benefited the Japanese army. And when he finally realized that, he blew the bridge up. Right? How many River Kwai bridges do we have in healthcare that need destroying? Dozens, hundreds, thousands, probably thousands. and Really, until we get that alignment, that real connection between what the organization says it wants to do and what it actually does, we're in some ways going to be fighting a losing war. 
as it relates to keeping our employees motivated, engaged, and going the extra mile for customers. They almost have to do it against the organization rather than with the organization. And that is a tough road to hoe. Just ask Alec Guinness. Yeah, make your numbers, make your numbers, right? Yep. Julie, any questions for Dave? Dave, great assessment, analysis, observations, thoughts. I love the QI bridge. I might start using that. So, you know, these issues, trust and management and helpful supervisors, are these issues that could be helped by technology or are these really human-driven issues only? Like, what needs to happen? Well, I just talked a little bit about the disconnection between organizational behavior and individual performance and technological improvement on a broken system can make that system work a little bit better, but it's not necessarily going to drive the results that we ultimately want. I always come back to the book Drive by Daniel Pink when I try to get grounded in this particular question. That book looked at what motivates professionals And it's really not money. I mean, the money has to be fair. But once it's fair, what drives professionals are what he calls AMP, A-M-P, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. People want to control their day-to-day work life. They want to master their profession. And they want to believe they're part of something bigger. They want to have real purpose in what they do. And so I think the real key to unlocking performance, fighting burnout, eliminating moral injury is really grounding organizational activity on these three things. How do we give people autonomy? How do we enable them to master their profession? And how do we make sure that our purpose lives up to the hard work they're doing on our behalf? That's what I really think is the key. So technology, if you get the basics right, can really turbocharge organizational performance. But if you don't have the basics right, you're always going to be fighting a losing battle to some extent. Got it, Dave. Thanks. Now, Julie, I'd like you to talk about the second two, time to complete tasks or workload, I guess, and productivity support. First, what's your take on the overall grim stats? And second, what can the market do to help healthcare employers help their workers complete their tasks and be more productive at work? Well, this doesn't surprise me at all. I'm talking to some day in and day out who, well, their struggle with workforce is not as high as it was. They're still all struggling with not only nurses and non-clinical workers, but the physician exodus certainly to specialty carve-outs is significant. And we definitely know that healthcare as an industry has taken a lot longer to see the efficiencies and effectiveness from the application of technology. And it's everything that Dave just said. So I'm going to do something that I, I normally do not do, which is walk through a couple of our companies just to demonstrate the simplicity of what they try to do and and the savings and the value that they create. There are so many companies out there doing great stuff, but I'll talk about a few. First, Memora. They digitize and automate care programs. So think like specialty care programs. And they simplify how patients and clinicians navigate that journey through text at home between visits. They have shown that they've reduced 40% inbox notifications and two and a half daily hours saved per FTE. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Why use the phone when you can have a more automated way to think about texting through a a journey? Okay, Genie. Genie makes on-demand interpreting happen in under 30 seconds. And if you aren't familiar with how this works in the ED or a hospital today, workers have to make an appointment 
and then be back to the bedside with the tablet on wheels for that appointment. And often that appointment is missed because of the chaos in the ED. And the time saved per patient is truly unbelievable. It can happen in the moment. They can connect with the interpreter in the moment, which drastically reduces fall off and increases satisfaction for everybody involved. So again, simple solutions, vital. They basically bring ADT and EHR data to life in this really elegant way that keeps patients informed in the ED and in the hospital. So think like you're in the ED, you can actually use your phone, you understand when tests have been ordered, who you're assigned to from a nurse and doctor perspective and perhaps others, what the you know, potential wait times and result times are for what's been ordered for you. It gives patients control and clarity and predictability. And why does this matter to healthcare workers? Because that's who we're talking about here. Well, I can assure you that the less anxious patient asks far fewer questions. And what I was shocked by from Vital's data is that one of the top questions that healthcare workers get asked in the ED is, wait for it, where is the Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> that's not entirely relevant to Vital's real value, but... No. That must be the Seattle EDs, uh, Julie. I, you know, Chicago. It's <laughs> Chicago. It's where's the candy machine? <laughs> yeah, probably. Where's the where's the pot machine? <laughs> where's the pot machine? <laughs> All right, and here's one of my favorites: parachute, which you can think of as like e-prescribing for DME. It saves loads of time for clinicians and non-clinicians. Get this. Over half the health system spend more than one day collecting documentation per DME order. <laughs> one day per DME order, per order. So Parachute can make that happen in under three minutes. And they do so by really looking also what's in, you know, what's kind of formulary on the DME side from the plan. And this increases physician satisfaction, their staff satisfaction, certainly all the people who are doing all the work running around for that day reduces discharge delays, and improves outcomes. So what's not to love about that? So I could go on and on. I mean, DexCare also doing a ton of work in this area in terms of how they orchestrate physician demand and capacity that basically creates incredible throughput. And by the way, physicians end up seeing patients that they actually should see versus patients that weren't properly triaged to them. And it results in fewer cancellations. So there's just, there's so much application, not just in our portfolio. There's so many examples of technologies like these that are improving lives, morale, and productivity of healthcare workers everywhere. And a lot of them have been applied to today's problems, and a lot of them have been reimagined to make the way we solve those problems, you know, quite different and more efficient. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? What I'm wondering is how much of the burnout increases that we're seeing in healthcare workers occurs because we're asking them to do the wrong things more efficiently. Essentially, how much of burnout is due to burden and how much is due to moral injury? And can we ever fix healthcare without addressing its moral failings? You know, just a simple question for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, first, I just heard um, a health system CIO today tell me this pretty amazing quote, which is, if I can't reach out and touch the ROI, I don't have time for you. And he's referring to how he thinks about innovative solutions. So I think 
if you think about him in the leader category today, <laughs> what is that ROI based on, right? How are they even calculating, thinking about, is that the old way? Is that a way it could be kind of reimagined? Um, or frankly, like, do they just need to get, you know, a different set of ROI taken care of to deal with the ROI that some of these companies are talking about, which just don't hit the top 20 list, right? You know, I think at the end of the day, the burden is huge. And at the end of the day, the burden is huge. And I think in digital health, you know, 1.0, when ONC and went through its initial work and meaningful use and all that, we anointed a bunch of technology companies to wrap technology around old ways. And we see it all the time in the EHR arguments and what's not working out there. Now we're in digital health 2.0, probably even getting to 3.0. And, you know, we're seeing all these solutions that are coming in and leveraging that core data. Like I just talked about vital leveraging data and doing something really productive with it that can be useful and frankly, drives a lot of efficiency and effectiveness. We're seeing just new ways to think about how technology can access resources in a much broader way to bring more capabilities to life in ways that are not about the old ways. So, uh, you know, this is probably a very natural evolution, but it does come back to the fact that I think many, many healthcare leaders have not absorbed how to think about the age old you know, current state and future state of how consultants used to design technology around processes. No, that's great, Julie. Thank you. I'll just tell one quick story about the worst productivity move in my career. And it gets back to your ROI question, Julie. When I ran the Modern Healthcare Newsroom, everyone had their own printer. That's when people printed out things. I had a printer. The reporters had a printer. The copy desk had a printer. The graphics guys had a printer. And no one had to move more than a few feet to print something out. Then some genius decided to have one centralized printer on one floor that everyone used, not just us, but all departments and all other publications on the floor. You know, it wasn't just to save money on paper. It was to monitor who was printing what. You know, it was a real lack of trust. And it turned into a huge, unproductive cluster, especially when someone didn't refill the paper or deleted someone else's print order to jump the line. It got ugly and everyone was crowded in the printer room and no one was at their desk working. So uh, (laughs) like it was yesterday, now I'm worked up. Yeah, you are. (laughs) I am. I am. It was it was nuts. It was nuts. All right. Uh, So let's talk about other big news that happened this week uh, to get me out of this mood. So, Julie, what else happened this week that's worth knowing? Well, I'm sure most people have seen this, but uh, General Catalyst has announced that they are buying a health system to basically deploy some of their 99 99 healthcare companies in GC's portfolio. It's kind of amazing. So apparently the health system is going to be in northern Florida somewhere. And, you know, our friend from Intermountain is going to run the whole show. So it's going to be exciting and interesting. Yeah, it'll be a real experiment in private equity ownership. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any news across your desk that's good to know? I'm still thinking about your printer story. I don't think Dilbert's got anything on you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the office. I was thinking about the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the I office too. The office is a good, that's exactly right. Anyway, this is uh, this is terrific. You remember our show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about is there just one EHR company with the name of Epic or are there really more than that? And right, right, yeah. My friend David Butts, who teaches at the University of Michigan, Ross business school listen to that episode 
And he sent me an analysis of Epic market share based on hospitals, beds, and discharges instead of installations. And using Dave's data and those baselines, Epic's market share climbs from 40% to between 60 and 68%. You know, can you spell monopoly? So a plug for the show and a plug for Dave and his great research. But aligned with that, I'm watching this antitrust trial against Google on their browser. And I'm thinking if the government wins that one, they should put Epic in their sites. Wow. Okay. We, I'm ready. We will keep an eye on that. That's great. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. And just for the record, my printer is inches away from my laptop on my desk. So there you go. Lesson learned. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show or about productivity tips for your workplace, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.